So we're talking about things today that are they're out of context. That's what that was all about. Uh, not, not, uh, not images that are out of context, but words that are taken out of context from the scriptures. And today we've got a doozy of a topic. Uh, words that uh, maybe you hear nowadays that you see on signs. Um, words that, that are from scripture, uh, but that, that get really confusing when they're plucked out of context and used in, uh, in different ways. And so we're going to put those words back into context. My name is Dion, by the way. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you. Those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. We're so honored to have you there. Make sure you click around our website before you're, uh, you're done today uh, with this uh, live stream and, and uh, see what we have there for you as well. Uh, let's pray before we dive into this message. Father in heaven, thanks so much for today. And we just ask that you'd open up our hearts and our minds, our ears, Make us, make us willing to receive this word that you have from, for us today. Father, I pray that you would you'd be with my words and that I would be speaking your truth the way you would want me to speak it. And Lord, I ask that, um, that you just give us more of your abundance, more of your life, more, more freedom today, that, uh, that we would, we'd be open to that, to whatever it is that you want to do in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So do you ever do this? When you're, when you're out somewhere and you're surrounded by a bunch of strangers, maybe you're, maybe you're down at a, a Cardinals game, or maybe you're at the grocery, or at the mall, or, or some other place, and, and, and the key is you're surrounded by a bunch of people you don't know, a bunch of strangers. Do you ever do this? Do you ever look around you and wonder, who of these people, who of these people all around me right now, who of them are going to be in heaven? Do you? No? Dang it. My wife was right. I am the only one who does that. She told me. I didn't believe her. Um, well, as one who does this, I, I can tell you that uh, it's kind of a weird thing to, to all of a sudden realize in those moments that everything that we know of life, everything that we know of life is one day coming to an end. So the Bible says it's all, it's all passing away. And what's even crazier about that is to know that all of us will spend our eternity somewhere. It's just a matter of where. Now, Steve Howard, our senior pastor, he, he always says that, um, that you are going to be surprised by some of the people that you see in heaven. And I agree. And then he adds on to the end of it that there will be equal or, or greater numbers of people who will be surprised to see you there. <laughs> and I agree with that too. Now, you know, for the most part, this whole thing of deciding who's in and who's out, that's not really our job. God reserves that job for himself. He says that he's the judge and, and he reserves judgment for himself. And yet there are some places in the scriptures where it seems like God tips his hand a little bit and we get to see a picture or we get to see a description of the kinds of people who will make it in and the kinds of people who won't. And, and these scriptures can be terrifyingly confusing for us. And we're going to look at one of them today. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9. It goes like this. Or do you not know... That wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Go back again, just one second. I want to look at that again. Or do you not know that wrongdoers, people who do wrong, will not inherit the kingdom of God? So what does that mean? Doesn't sound good, right? If you do wrong, you don't get to go to heaven? Is that what it's saying? Well, now, now we'll read on. Verse 10. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, so here we don't find out who gets to go to heaven, but we sure find out a bunch of people who are on the blacklist, right? 
Uh, We've got on our list wrongdoers, sexually immoral people, idolaters. We've got adulterers, gays. We've got the greedy people, drunks. We've got slanderers, and we've got swindlers. They're all on the blacklist. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, none of them are getting in. Wow. That's a lot of people up there, isn't it? Now, now you might know if you know your Bible, um, and if you don't, that's okay. I'll tell you. There are other places where these lists are given. I want to show you another one. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, this is Paul writing to a different group of people, but look what he says. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. He goes on. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but instead be all about thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, for such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So to our list, we've got to add some people, right? We've got to add the impure, the obscene, the foolish talkers, the coarse jokers. We've got to add them to the list. Uh, James, chapter 2. James, another guy. He, he adds some people to the list. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor, those who are poor, In the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith, and the poor has not chosen them to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not ones who are dragging you into court? So so James says that it's the poor who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That means we've got to add rich people to the list. they got to be on the list too. They're blacklisted. So if you're rich, you're on the list. Okay. Uh, One more place I want to take you to. Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes again, he says, For the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, get this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we got to add some more people to our list. Let's round out our list here. So we got the debaucherous, we got witches, we got haters, we got drama queens. You know who you are. We've got the jealous, we've got angry people, selfish people, dissenters, the factious, we've got uh, instigators, they could be on there too. We've got the envious, and we've got super freak, super freaks, the super freaky, ow. Right? All of them are on the list. Now, since we're on a roll, can I add a few people to the list that I'd like to add? How about those people who put those hot red mufflers on their car and then rev their engines really loudly late at night, you know, do that while your kids are sleeping? Can we put them on the list? Or those people who who wait in construction zones to cut over at the last second when they know for two miles that their lane is closing? Can we add them to the list? Seriously, though, look at this list for a second. Can anyone be sitting in this room... And still feel, still feel comfortable about who you are. Now usually when we read these lists in the scriptures, we usually pick out a few kinds of people. We pick out one or two kinds of people. And that's what we get focused on. And it's usually the kinds of people that, that we are not or the, or the things that we don't struggle with. That's what we get hung up on. That's what we, we get preachy about. But just look at this list. You see everyone who's included? 
So, so maybe a question for us is, if all of these people are on the blacklist, if none of these people get into heaven, who actually is getting in to heaven? And to figure that out, we've got, we've got to put this into context, right? Because this just doesn't seem right. So let's put it into context and see if that helps. So I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we started. Um, but before we jump in here, I want to tell you a little bit of context about who these people were and what this letter is all about. So Paul is one of the leaders in the church. He's writing to a church, a group of people in the city of Corinth. Now Corinth is a, a wealthy place. It's a, it's a port. There's all kinds of activity going on there. There is a lot of opportunity for, for good and evil in, in Corinth. And so Paul is writing to a group of Christians there who are wealthy, who are kind of worldly, who um, have loose morals, but they're kind of proud about it. They're kind of arrogant. They, 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 uh, they you know, like their behavior, and, and they know no shame, and, and so they kind of have this chip on their shoulder, even though there's stuff about them that's not exactly right. And so Paul writes them this letter, trying to challenge them on some of their thinking, some of their perspective, and uh, he does that in various ways throughout 1 Corinthians. Then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, uh, and he starts talking about the fact that they, that they like to sue each other. It says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So, so he starts off saying, hey, you guys are suing each other. Christians are suing other Christians because you think someone wronged you and you're trying to win. And he says, don't you know that when you go to court, when you take another Christian to court, you lose? It doesn't matter if you win, you still lose. Because you're putting yourself under the authority of, of someone else. You're, just, just come on, you know, why, why not rather be wronged than take someone to court? Because when you take them to court, you lose. Why not rather be cheated? And then he goes on. He says, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. So, so not only are you being cheated and you're mad about it, but you're the cheat. So we've got to add cheats to the list. Got to keep the list accurate. This is important, right? So we add cheats to the list. He continues. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? There are those words again. Uh, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Does it look any better in context? So what do you do with this? I guess you keep reading. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. All that stuff on the list. That's what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul's speaking to these, these uh, people in Corinth, and he says, let me remind you that you used to be all these things. But, but then something happened. Something changed for you. What changed? Well, for starters, he says, you were washed. He's talking about baptism here. You were washed with a washing and a renewal that's deeper than, than just your skin. It's a, it's a washing and regeneration of your very spirit. It's a rebirth into eternal life. It's, it's a recreation of who you are. Paul says, you know, you were, you were once all those things, but something changed. You, you were washed, and that changes things. And then he says, you were sanctified. So you were washed and you were sanctified. When, when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit came into you, and you were set apart 
You were declared to be different. You were pulled away from, from the, the world and, and, and the tribes that you belong to in the world. And, and now you're part of God's tribe. You're part of his family. You've been set apart. You've been, you've been made distinct. You've been called to be separate. You're different now. So he says, what changed? You were washed. You're sanctified. You were justified. See, after you've been baptized, after the Holy Spirit comes into you, your judgment day comes early. And so if you've been baptized into Christ, you've also been filled with his spirit. And Jesus has already in advance declared that when you stand before God who is a righteous judge, the declaration will be not guilty. You're innocent. You're righteous. So, so Paul's talking to these Corinthian people and he says, you know what? You, you were a mess. You had all this stuff going on in your life and, and you were adulterers and slanderers and witches and all this other stuff. But, but, but something changed. You were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. And you know, the truth is that's, that's us in this room too, right? I mean, we, we all have stuff in our lives. We've all had sin in our lives that we've been called out of. And for some of us, it's, it's this eyebrow-raising kind of sin, these sinful lives that we've been called out of, and, 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 and we've been washed. And if you haven't been washed, if you haven't been baptized, gosh, we want that for you. Come and talk to me after the service if you've not been baptized, because, because this is an incredible gift that God wants to give you. See, when we've been called out of sin, we've, we've been washed, uh, we've been sanctified, we've been set apart and filled with the Holy Spirit, we've been justified, we've been declared righteous, innocent, not guilty. That's all been given to us by our baptism. It's absolutely incredible. And then we've left all of our sin behind, right? We've just left those sinful lives completely behind. We just quit sinning. And now we're, we're, we're not any of those things anymore, right? Oh, okay, maybe not exactly, but, but mostly, right? Mostly we don't sin anymore. Or sometimes, maybe? Can I get an occasionally we don't sin anymore out of anyone? Right, so, 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 so what do you do with that? What if, what, if, what if your past isn't just in your past? What if, what if there's still struggle in your present? After you've been washed, after you've been sanctified, after you've been justified, here's what we need to understand. Uh, even though these words are uh, past tense words, these are past tense verbs that Paul uses, washed, you were washed, you were, you were sanctified, you were justified, he's not talking about it as if, as if you get a one-time, get-out-of-jail-free card that you can redeem only once. It's not what he's saying. It's not as if you've got one shot in your life to, you know, get baptized and get everything washed away and, and, then, and then you just, it's got to be all on you now because the forgiveness is done. No, Paul's talking about something that is, that is an ongoing washing, an ongoing sanctification, an ongoing justifying. See, there's a bigger teaching here that, that Paul is scratching into that, that I think we don't under, understand very well, and that's why we struggle to make sense of these words when they're pulled out of context. See, even though, even though those lists and all those names that he called out here in 1 Corinthians and in other places, even though those words may describe what you do, the reality is that's not who you are anymore. Here's an important truth for you. Our actions don't determine our identity. You hear me? Our actions don't determine our identity. Not anymore. Not if you're in Christ. 
See, that's what Paul just said. If you've been washed in Christ, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, and now your actions don't determine your identity. They used to, but not anymore. And so even if you, you know, fall into adultery, that was on our list, that doesn't make you an adulterer because, because Jesus has washed you. And he's sanctified you, and he's justified you, and he's given you a greater name. That's not who you are, even though that may be what you do. If you struggle with same-sex attraction and you give into it, that doesn't mean you're gay or lesbian. Not if you've been washed. Because foremost, you are a son or daughter of God through Christ. And that's who you are. You know, if, if you struggle with coarse joking or, or foolish talk or dissension or jealousy or envy or drama, if that's in your life, you may do those things and, and they may cause problems for you. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but that's not who you are anymore. See, your actions don't determine your identity. Not anymore. Not if you've been washed by Christ. That's not who you are. And, and some of us just need to hear this today. I think we all do, but some of us really need to hear it. Because we've allowed our identity to be all about our actions. We call ourselves by what we do. And even though that those labels that, that we wear, that we've accepted, may accurately describe our, our behavior, our actions, they do not describe who we are anymore. Do you got that? See, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ... Even if those sins are still present in your life that that Paul talked about, that's not who you are anymore. Stop identifying yourself by your behavior. That's not who you are. Because God has given you a greater name. He's called you a son. He's called you his daughter. That's who you are in spite of how you behave. That doesn't change your actions don't determine your identity, not anymore. Now, now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, now hold on a second, hold on a second. If it's true that I'm not my behavior, that my actions don't determine my identity, then doesn't that, doesn't that just negate everything that Paul said in the first part of 1 Corinthians 6? If you can be a Christian and your sins aren't your identity and they're not held against you, then why does Paul waste so much time warning people about their sinful behavior. Why does he say all that stuff about wrongdoers not inheriting the kingdom of God? Doesn't it seem kind of pointless? Why call it out and then say it's not a problem? Well, well the point comes in verse 12. You've got to keep reading. So, so Paul, he quotes the people of Corinth here. He says, uh, I have the right to do anything. Because that's something that they used to say. I have the right to do anything, you say. But, everything is not benef- uh, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they say. But Paul responds, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, now there's this saying that they were throwing around in Corinth, the saying that, uh, that he repeats twice, I have the right to do anything. The Corinthian Christians are, are, are using this as kind of a motto or a mantra. Some translations put it as, everything is permissible for me. So they're basically saying, okay, yeah, we know we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified. Our actions don't determine our identity. So now we have the right to do anything. I want you to notice how Paul responds to them. He, he doesn't hear them say that, and he doesn't respond to them by saying, no, you don't. No, 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 you don't have the right to do anything. No, 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 you, you, you don't. 
Instead, look what he says. They're saying, I have the right to do anything. And he answers, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. Now, is it just me? Or does it almost look like Paul is agreeing with this statement? That in Christ, we are free. That truly our identity is not about our actions anymore. That, that we've been given this righteousness that's from outside of us. I mean, doesn't it look like Paul is, is agreeing with that statement? It does. And yet he's not just leaving it there. He, he adds, he says, that may be true. He seems to say that. That may be, may be true, but not everything's beneficial. Again, I have the right to do anything you say, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. See, there's a very important nuance here in verse 12 that, that I think helps us understand the whole rest of this. It's this teaching of the New Testament, again, that I think is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to get our minds around, but it goes like this. Sin is irrelevant for eternal life. There we go. Sin is irrelevant to eternal life, but sin is hugely relevant to the fullness of your life. So sin is irrelevant to eternal life. Paul would agree. He says, yes, you've got the right to do anything. Right? If, if Jesus has died for you, if he took your sin with him to the cross, if he died for it, if, if he now gives you his righteousness in place for your sin, then sin is irrelevant to your eternal life. It doesn't matter if you've got sin in your life. It's irrelevant because it's all about Jesus and what he's done for you. And it's all about faith in him. See, it's true. So, so the Corinthians are right. I can do anything. I have the right to do whatever I want. Everything's permissible for me. And we're thinking, there goes the neighborhood, right? That's a dangerous teaching. If people believe that, if, if people really believe that, then just throw all of our morality out the window and you know, plug the ears of your kids because this is the stuff you hold over their head that they got to be good or they won't go to heaven, right? If they know they can do anything, it's not going to be good. There's always a but. Sin is irrelevant to eternal life, but sin is hugely relevant to the fullness of your life. See, it may be irrelevant to eternal life because Jesus accomplished that, and it's, it's yours by faith in his goodness and what he's done. But sin is hugely relevant to the fullness of your life. That's why Paul says, you know what? Yeah, it's irrelevant. You can do whatever you want, but everything that you do is not beneficial. And yeah, although you have the right to do anything in your life, be careful because you can let those things master you, and that would take away your freedom. Gosh, I remember as a, as a high school student, uh, just not, not getting this at all, and I still struggle to get it sometimes. But I grew up in a very grace-centered church, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, because um, at the foundation of who God is, is, is grace. Um, and I learned this lesson that, that sin is irrelevant for my eternal life, that, that trusting in Jesus and what he's done for me is, is all that I need. I, I learned that, and that's true. But I guess I didn't learn the rest because I, like the Corinthians, thought, well, then I have the right to do anything and God will forgive me. And so I went out and I did a lot of stuff, right? 
Some of you did the same. That's your story too. Maybe some of you are still doing the same because you're still operating under this this viewpoint. And, And while it's true, you have the right to do anything. And sin is irrelevant as far as eternal life goes. There's a bigger picture here. That sin is hugely relevant to the fullness of your life. The fullness that God wants for you. Everything is permissible for you, but not everything is beneficial. And although everything is permissible for you and you're free to do whatever you want... Be careful, because if you're not careful, something will master you and take away the freedom that Jesus has given you. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nice try, Dion, right? It's like I'm hypnotizing you. I'm almost making you believe this. But let's go back to the black and white word of the scripture. It says clearly, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. How can you get around that? It's what the word says. Just let the word be the word, right? So if you do wrong, you're not going to heaven. I think the final thing that's out of context for us in this, in this whole statement is, uh, is this understanding of what it means, of what this phrase means to inherit the kingdom of God. See, when we think of the kingdom of God, we usually think of what? We, we think of heaven, right? The kingdom of God, well, well that's heaven. Um, a, a better way to translate this, and, and all Greek scholars will agree because I'm not a Greek scholar, but, but they would agree with this, that this word kingdom is inappropriate. It's really more about the reign of God. It's not about a place. The word that, that's used in the Bible when, when it says the kingdom of God is, is really more this verbal sense of, of God's ruling activity, the reign and the rule of God, the, the influence of God. So, so it's not about a place. It's about the reign of God. So in some sense, yes, Jesus is reigning in heaven in full, and so I guess you could say heaven's a part of it, but what I want you to understand is this this term, the the reign of God, the kingdom of God, it's so much bigger than heaven. And this is where we miss out. This is where we we lose, we, we fail to track with Paul, is that inheriting the reign of God is more than simply getting to go to heaven or having eternal life someday. You hear me? See, inheriting the reign of God is about living your life under the lordship of Jesus, learning to abide there, learning to dwell there, learning to live there. And and it's referring to all of the things you get when you do that. Heaven's a part of what you get. But it's so much bigger. I I think there are a lot of us who will get into heaven. We will get eternal life someday. But we'll barely scratch the surface on this inheritance that God has for us. That is ours when we learn to live our lives under the reign of God. So, So the question we should ask ourselves today then is, okay, how do we get that? How do we inherit the reign of God? Well, the answer is, you submit yourself to the teachings of Jesus. You submit yourself to his word. You submit your life to his lordship. Even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense, even, even when it's hard for you in a, in a deep personal way, uh, even when it's an offense to you, even when it challenges you at the core of your being, you submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. You submit yourself to his teaching because that's the way you begin to discover the riches of your inheritance 
that comes from the reign of God. And, and see, this is what Paul is saying to these Corinthian believers. They've got everything you could want in life. They're living in a wealthy city full of opportunity. And in some ways, they, they feel like they've got it all. They, they've got the world and they've got Jesus. And, and Paul looks at them and he goes, no, no, no. Don't you understand that you're barely scratching the surface? See, if you knew what God could give you, if you knew how great it would be, it would change your whole way of thinking about life. It's like Paul is saying to them, by indulging in what's easier, you miss out on what's greater. By indulging in what's easier, you miss out on what's greater. Yeah, Corinthian believers, you've got pleasure at your fingertips. But by indulging in what's easier, you're going to miss out on what's greater. See, see, we know this principle, don't we? We know it in health, at least. That's why you, you you eat kale rather than Twinkies. Right? It's not just about self-denial. You know that if you eat kale, you, you get something greater. You get to be healthy. You get to see your grandkids or your great-grandkids, God willing. You know, if, if you sit on the couch for 30 minutes or walk around the neighborhood for 30 minutes, there's a reason you make that decision because you know by indulging in what's easier, sitting on the couch eating Twinkies, you, you know that you're losing something. So it's not just about self-denial. It's about making a decision not to indulge in something easier so that you can have something Greater, we know this as parents, those of us who are parents. It'd be a lot easier to, to, do, to indulge our kids and just give them what they want. But that's not what we do. You know, we limit their screen time and we make them do their homework and we make them do extracurriculars and we help them learn about character. Why? Because we know that if they grow up to be healthy whole people, that will be greater than letting them do whatever they want and taking the easy way out when they're young. So you know this in every other part of life. Do you realize this is also true as it relates to your inheritance in the kingdom, in the reign of God? That you can get to heaven even if you're an adulterer. Even if you're a slanderer. Even if you're a gossip. Otherwise, you know, if that list is accurate, there's going to be a lot of open rooms up in heaven. Right? And yet, do you understand that even if you get in... Do you realize you still miss out on all kinds of great stuff that God wants for you if you just trust him? See, I wonder how many millions and billions of Christians will enter into heaven one day. And and they'll receive that part of the inheritance. They'll get eternal life, but will miss out on the fullness of all of the rest of the things that God wants to give us. Because we've settled for what's easier. See, this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. He's telling them that whenever we steal, whenever we we sleep around, whenever we give into those those feelings of temptation that are deep inside of us that are contrary to scripture, whenever we lose our temper and kind of live there, whenever we allow ourselves to be petty and jealous, we're choosing, we're making a choice in that moment to settle for what's easier. And even though we may get into heaven someday, We're missing out on other things that God wants to give us as his sons and his daughters. Part of our inheritance. Now I know this is a difficult teaching. Not easy to understand and it's kind of going to take some time to process. But here's the bottom line. Is is sin a threat? Yes. To our salvation? No. I I mean it can be. We all know people who, who get so mastered by a sin in their life that they run away from the faith, they run away from Jesus, they, they hide from him out of guilt and shame or pride or arrogance. We, we all know people like that. So it can, 
But, but does your sin automatically disqualify you from the love of God and from eternity? No. Jesus has done the work. It is finished. It is accomplished for you. He's done it all. And even if you're stuck in sin, you still can go and be with him forever if you love him and if you trust in him. That's what it's all about. So, so is sin a threat? Yes. What is it a threat to then? It's a threat to your inheritance. That's so much bigger than life in heaven someday. It's a threat to the life that Jesus wants to give you now as you learn to live life under his reign and rule. See, as long as you persist in doing what's easier, you'll never live fully under the reign of Jesus, under his lordship, and you'll never get to experience all the wonderful things that are there for you. See, I I just think so much would change for us if we could just stop trying to clear the bar to get into heaven, just, you know, do bare minimum. But instead, if we begin to explore the depths of our inheritance offered to us through Christ as sons and daughters of the King. See, I think it'd make life so much better. And not only that, not only that, if, if, if we just knew how much God had in store for us, I think it'd make it easier for us to stop sinning. Not easy, but easier. I think, I think we'd finally have more incentive to stop indulging in what's easier Because we would know then, we would know then that when we do, that God would lead us into something greater. We pray for that for all of us. Father, help us trust you. Help us believe that uh, that you are a God who has good things in mind for us. That from the beginning of creation, that you didn't want anything from us. You didn't create us so that we could give to you. You created us. In this whole world because you wanted to give to us. And Father, that seems wrong in our minds sometimes, and yet it's true. It's, it's who you are and it's what you've done. So Father, for those of us in this room, and that's really all of us in this room, who are a little suspect or suspicious when it comes to your motives or your agenda for us sometimes, God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you that you are truly a God who wants good things for us, that you've got this amazing inheritance. You've got this, just all kinds of things that you want to give us in life. If we'd only learn to trust you and to listen to you and to submit ourselves to your lordship and to, to live according to your ways rather than all the other ways that people around us are trying to coax us into. God, I pray that you give us courage to stop indulging in the easy stuff, the stuff of the flesh that comes naturally to us so that we can experience the greater things, the things that your reign and rule consist of, all of those great portions of our inheritance that we may be forfeiting now. Father, I I pray that you would give us a desire in this room to not leave anything on the table as it concerns to your goodness, but to want all of it to want everything that you created us to have, everything that Jesus died in order to win for us. Father, I pray that you'd give us a desire to want more and more and more of your reign and rule, our full inheritance in our lives. And in those moments when we're weak, when we don't understand, when we're confused, or when we're hurt even by your word, give us the courage to trust you and to find fullness. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our incredible Savior.
Amen.